And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, April 18th. It is Project Prospect. Derek Van Riper here with Chris Welsh, you know, Saris, digging into some recent promotions and debuts and looking at a few players who are cruising in the minor leagues right now in hopes of finding future value, be that for redraft leagues this season or even for keeper and dynasty leagues. So it has been a very busy week on the prospect front. We are going to get started right away because we may not cover everything on the show sheet. We're going to start today with Brett Beatty, who last season, you might remember, Brett Beatty had the highest WRC plus of any hitter among qualified hitters at AA. Did that as a 22-year-old. He was number one. Logan O'Hoppy, for what it's worth, was number two. It was a 160 WRC+. plus. Had nothing left to prove at that level. Got a brief taste of, of AAA to begin this season, and now he is up for the Mets. And I'll start this with you, Eno. Brett Beatty, up for good based on the Mets' needs and based on what you've seen from him as a prospect? I think so. The I always ask when I'm in the clubhouse or when I see something like this, what's the corresponding move? I think what's the corresponding move is often tells us a lot about what's happening. The corresponding move is I put somebody on the IL, then you're tied to that. You know, you're tied to, oh, when that guy comes off the IL, then, you know, like, for example, maybe I think is Oswald Peraza up. Oswald Peraza, the corresponding move is Giancarlo Stanton goes on the IL. So if Oswald Peraza, when Stanton comes back, there's a very high likelihood Oswald Peraza goes back down. Um, and so in this case, I don't even know what the corresponding move was. They it's not put, an IL. I think Tim LaCastro went on the IL. I don't know if it was actually Aha, the yeah. move. the Phantom. No, IL. that was actually that was that was the the move, but that wasn't like the, the move. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You know, Beatty doesn't go back down when Tim LaCastro is healthy if he's even hurt. Uh, not to cast dispersions. I'm just saying this stuff happens in baseball. They they'd rather keep him around. Uh, so the corresponding move is not one that is temporary and. The people that are in that were in the way, quote unquote, for Brett Beatty are still on the team. So I think this means that Eduardo Escobar, who has actually traditionally been better against lefties over his career, is now in the lineup against lefties at DH going forward. Mm. And only sometimes in the lineup against righties when someone is hurt or needs a rest. And that means Brett Beatty has full runway. Mm, okay, so let's think about this in terms of short-term impact first. Welsh, uh, how thin of a league can you justify picking up Brett Beatty? And based on the scouting report and your expectations for him, is he a shallow mixed league player right away? Yeah, I don't know if he's a 10 team, but I absolutely think you jump in on 12 team. I think it's a must add. I think he's at kind of the top of the list of the prospect run. Uh, not a great like performance in his first game, but what did he do? He did what Brett Beatty does. He hit one 100 miles an hour on a line. Like He is just a constant hard hit machine. And if he gets a full season, he's going to put up big hard hit numbers. So I think in a 12 team, you can do it. Also, look at the position. You know, we've spent so much time in the offseason talking about Positional, positional scarcity, especially in like the corner infield and stuff. And he qualifies at that spot. He's a corner infield spot that we want to fill. So yeah, I think there's so much that works in his favor. You know, lowered strikeout percentages, hard hit balls are still there. Getting his feet under him is going to be good. Hopefully he's not going to hit eight. You know, eight is going to be a little weird, seven or eight. I think he's got like a high of maybe getting up to five if the ball is really flying off the bat. But he is here to hit. They're going to give him every opportunity. And I think a 12 team, uh, 12 team higher, you can justify it. I'm looking at last season when Beatty had that brief cup of coffee with the Mets. He had a max EV of 113 miles per hour. <laughs> and if 
he had been among qualified hitters on the StatCast leaderboard, that would have put him 21st, right behind Hunter Renfro. That's incredible That's raw power. power. And that kind of raw power usually can get away with an elevated strikeout rate. I think we've talked about this a lot over the years. You know, the, the projections for prospects can be extremely noisy. I look at the projections on Beatty, and they're certainly, they're not bad, right? I'm looking yeah. at a 247 to 254 range for the they're average. Already with all better the, than the ones for Escobar. <laughs> right. That That's sort of the one key. Like, is the projection better than what they have? In this case, yes. And this projection leaves some room for Beatty to exceed, too. This is a very reasonable projection that he can hit based on what he has done so far. I think the, the category that I'm actually most curious about is batting average. He might be one of those guys that hits the ball so hard that he's less of a batting average liability than someone who typically strikes out 25, 27% of the time. Yeah, there's there's an interesting thing going on in his, in his profile, which is he hits too many ground balls. And I saw him at the Futures game, and I said, what about the ground balls? And he says, I don't care. I'm trying to hit the ball hard. And there's a little bit of an interesting back and forth there, which is if you hit more ground balls, but you hit the ball hard, that's good for your batting average, you know? And so he may run high BABIPs. He certainly did in the minor leagues. And so maybe at the same time, we want to see him lift the ball to hit more of homers. And so it is kind of good to see that at AAA this year, he did start to lift the ball more. Uh, but in essence, uh, he does two of the things that I want most out of my young hitter. He hits the ball hard and he makes contact. Even those elevated strikeout rates, they don't look that bad to me. They don't come with big whiff rates. And in AAA this year, he is on a great list. I went over to Rotowire, which has uh, some really fun things. If you if you pay for a subscription, you can get hard hit data on on minor leaguers, and you have these cool filters. So I put a filter on it. I said more than twenty five plate appearances this year under the age of twenty three, and the strikeout rate under twenty three percent. So I mean, there's still some guys there, you know, 22, 23% is not amazing strikeout rate, but it's, it's pretty good. It's enough contact where I'm not, I wouldn't say, oh, but what about his contact? And uh, the leaderboard is killer. Uh, first, you have Wendell Morero. He's just a 22-year-old at A-ball. Uh, you guys rightly pointed out that's uh, a little too old for the level, and his actual results aren't that amazing. But number two is Brett Beatty. Uh, number three is Jackson Holiday, who's a total stud that everybody knows. Uh, number five is Junior Caminero. If you don't know who Junior Caminero is, you should know who Junior Caminero is. And if he's available and you can stash prospects, you should stash him immediately. After Junior Caminero is Kyle Manzardo. Uh, so this is a good list to be on. Um, I, I did have a, a couple names I wanted to throw um, throw by the Welsh because I don't know these guys as well. Uh, a couple names on there from the Tigers. Gage Workman, 23-year-old in A. With a 41% hard hit rate and a 22.6% strikeout rate and a 1-3 OPS. And then Wenseal Perez, uh, a second base. Two, two guys up the middle, both 23, both hit the ball hard 40% of the time. Both uh, strike out less than 23% of the time. Do you, do you like either one of these guys? I like Winseal Perez. I don't like Gage Workman. I've actually watched Gage Workman a ton because he used to play here at ASU. And then um, he also came over here to the Arizona Fall League. So with Workman, I like the uh, improvement. But this is also a guy in 2022 who at AA, the same level, had a 40% strikeout rate. So maybe he's going to be a slow-go guy and maybe he's got to really like learn and dominate the levels. But it went from... At 21 years old, a 26% K rate in A-ball. High A, he went to 34%. And then went to 40. I mean, he literally increased his strikeout percentage across the board. Now, the, the positive was that he came over to the AFL. He got some work. And he was able to clearly improve some of the bat-to-ball skills. But he's been like a big stolen base guy. And uh, I think a lot of the big stats are kind of mirage So I'm just not super into him. It is great that he returns it. But he was kind of a defensive guy. Actually, a traditional shortstop at ASU. But he ended up going over to third base just positionally because they had um, uh, Alika Williams, who was there, who was a stud, who so plays with the Tampa Bay Rays. designation. He's not a shortstop anymore. Yeah, he's not. But he does have the defensive ability and the physical presence for it. Just offense wasn't his side. Winsel Perez, though, that's a guy that I like. Um, I don't think either Man, one of these guys. He's been around are, forever. He's been around he's for gotta, a long time. He's got to get on the 40 minute. 
But he's and he's only 23 years old. He's only 23 years old. Uh, but low strikeout rates. He's never had a 20% strikeout rate in his minor league career. Uh, did a pretty good job last year. He hit double A. He hit over 300. The counting stats weren't super big, but the he walks. He doesn't strike increasing. out. Yeah, so that's why I like I like Winseal as a guy that could end up making a roster, um, not put any big stats up. He's probably not a I don't know, maybe like 250 plus prospects, you can really justify him. I just don't think Gage Workman, and I know that, um, you know, a lot of like automated stuff is going to like what he's done early on, but the track record of who he is outside of finding out like, you know, big major swing and approach changes, which I haven't heard of, I I would have very little interest in this hot start of his. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think with uh, Winseal Perez, I just think the Tigers have had a handful of other infield prospects like this in recent years that have all turned into sort of utility players that yeah. bounced around the league. That None of them have really become special players. I think one of the few that a few years back did become a special player, happened well after he left Detroit, was Eugenio Suarez. I think at one point in time, Eugenio Suarez was more like some of the other middle infield prospects we've seen come through Detroit, and people didn't think much of it when the Reds made that trade to get him way back when, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I think part of this is, that for me, it's like an organizational concern. I don't trust them to get the most out of their talent right now. And I think that's something that keeps me from throwing darts in the lower levels of their system or even up to the double-A level of the system, which is where Perez is right now. Shots fired. I mean, has it gotten any better? <laughs> Kerry Carpenter? Is that all I've got? <laughs> you got well, yeah, I mean, I was, wait, at, I was waiting for more. Who else? Yeah, did Riley Green, Torque. Oh, well, was yeah, really no, fun. Riley Green. I, I, I think there was some good stuff. I think I, I'm hopeful for Riley Green this year. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, I don't have to, to be clear. Like if you, if you but draft that's like someone the in the first round, end, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Torkelson went one one. Riley Green went fifth in the draft. Like that's not a, yeah, de- that's, that's, different. that's not a development project. That's yeah. just <laughs> good point. Good point. Keeping the car on the road is really all you have to do <laughs> in, in those cases. And maybe in Torkelson's case, something's going wrong there. Maybe the car is not on the road. It's like the Angels. Just don't screw it up. They're just like, let's get him quickly to the majors. That's like mm-hmm. a, the Tiger same approach. Just don't screw this up. Yeah, I I do think the one of the guys you were mentioning before the show, I think you may have mentioned him in that group, is is Jason Morabell in the Rangers organization. Yeah. Because if you play in a deep keeper dynasty league where at least 200 prospects are rostered, I think of leagues like the old RDI league, the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, where you could just throw darts at lower level guys and you kind of designate a couple of spots to a player like this and you see what happens over the span of a couple of months. Does he earn a promotion to another full season level? Do the tools start to come out in the form of significant in-game production? I think Morabel is one of those players that could shoot up lists when it starts to fall into place. It seems like there's a lot there for him to work with, and I think I trust the Rangers organization a bit more than the Tigers to maximize the value of a player like that. Yeah, where was he on that list? Because I know he's got uh, Rotowire's uh, hard hit strength data. He's at 50%, also 50% medium, so no soft hit strength currently. And this is a guy that I've seen a whole bunch. What was his metric on there, you know? On he's the right draft? between Holiday and, and Caminero. Oh, oh, so he's in like the top five. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, which good. is incredible. And I've seen a ton of Morabell because he was out here. Um, Rangers and Royals facility is like my home facility over here. And I've seen him a ton through um, ACL all the way up to complex. And he's a big physical guy. They list him around like 170. He's probably closer to 185, 6'2". And he hits the ball extremely hard. Uh, he's still a little bit raw. You know, there's still like a little bit of work to be done, but he doesn't strike out a bunch. And able. Yeah. Last year in Complex League, he had an under 20% strikeout rate, which is bad pitching, but there's a lot of free swinging guys. He hit over 300, and then he was able to move to A ball. This year, he's not hitting the ball. There's not a lot of results, yeah. but he's got a really low BABIP right now with huge hard hit strength. And I think it's going to readjust. He's not striking out again. And I think that's a guy that's got like 25 plus power if that bat keeps developing. I'm actually a very big fan of ESM Morabell. Other other names uh, down list that are just notable are Ronnie Mauricio, uh, who's hitting the ball hard and not showing better patience, but I think the contact is just as important. If he can strike out, you know, 23 to 24% of the time in the major leagues, even if he only walks 6 to 7% of the time, if he hits the ball hard, as he is right now, I think he can be an asset in the major league. So, um, 
you know, I may have been a little bit wrong about him. Uh, it seems to be coming together for him right now. Tyler Soderstrom is uh, everybody's favorite. Kobe Mayo is right there as well. Uh, so those are some uh, some names to 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 just know that they're they're doing well in the early going. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, one name that is up in the major leagues, not to segue uh, too hard away from Beatty, but uh, this one is a lot less exciting. Um, I don't know where you have him, Welsh, but James Anderson has him as the 254th prospect. Uh, I wonder if that's underrating him. Lennon Sosa is going to play, I think, in Chicago, either at second or short uh, with Tim Anderson out for a month. And Len Sosa was hitting the ball hard 38% of the time with a nine, what is this? A 14% strikeout rate and a 1-4 OPS in the major league in the minor leagues. And one thing I like about Lennon Sosa also is um I, I he's just improved as he went along. You know, like every time he hit a level, you know, he he leveled up, you know, basically. And uh and so his power has just been slightly growing as as he's I don't know, filled out or whatever it is, or worked on his swing, but he hasn't struck out more. So I don't know that he's going to walk much. This could be another sort of five and 20 guy in terms of walks and strikeouts. But um, if the power comes along with him, he has a nice home park. Uh, I don't know. You, you could get uh, three or four homers uh, over the next month from him and maybe a stolen base or two. Yeah, I have him a tiny bit higher than James. I had him um, at 194 on my list, if people would check that out on uh, on the In This League. Uh, that's where I've got him as far as prospects go. I'm a little bit, like, I'm just worried about the cap of the overall production. He did hit 23 homers last year with a really big batting average, 315. I just wonder, is he more of like a 15 and 10? He doesn't really steal. As far as like fantasy production we're talking right. about, he has 17 career stolen bases in over 400, almost 500 games. So he doesn't really steal. So if he's a 15 homer, five stolen, five base, stolen base, yeah, with like 280, he could be a decent, He could, you know what he could be? He could be old, like the bad Yohan Moncada. That's like your bad Yohan Moncada numbers <laughs> of where he could get to. But that's also like saying that he might be still underrated because this is an awesome production for 12 team leagues, but for much big, deeper leagues, this is the type of production to get for almost free that you would want to jump on. And the hard hit numbers, I think are a real big positive. Yeah. Probably a player that you're looking at as a candidate to start at second base in 2024. Elvis Andrews there on a one-year deal. And it's just strange to see a middle infielder that is a very average runner, 50th percentile on sprint speed, I think even the Fangraphs scouting report has 40 speed on Lenin Sosa. Like, how are you playing up the middle with 40 speed? That's actually pretty hard to do. <laughs> yeah. It's a really unusual profile. Six but I do foot think, 180, so it's not like he's like big or anything. Maybe it's just like bad running technique or something. You know, like just <laughs> inefficient, like arms flailing. Just I don't know. Maybe that's actually coachable. Arms flailing. He's just, he's just running around. Yeah, he's just got a really image. bad gait. <laughs> That's my that's my first guess as to why he doesn't run well. Uh, some other players that have been called up recently: Zach Neto up for the Angels, really quick mover through the minor leagues. I mean, this is a guy that was drafted last summer, 13th overall pick in the 2022 draft. Uh, Welsh, even for guys you expect to move quickly, less than a year from the date they were drafted is pretty extreme. So, uh, what are your expectations for Neto? I mean, part of the appeal during draft season was that the Angels have a clear long-term need at the position. He looks like he's the guy for the long haul. Is he truly ready? And is he ready to help fantasy players from the jump? 
Yeah, there's no doubt. Like this one shocked me. I wasn't. Re- I really undersold what the Angels were going to do with their system and move these guys. I mean, I what was it a month ago or less? I was on the backfields of the Diamondbacks watching a double triple A extended spring training game where like Jordan Lawler's playing up against Zach Neto. And now we're seeing Zach Neto in the majors. And I didn't think that was going to happen, but I've always been a big fan is if anyone has followed me for a while, they've known I've had Neto over Brooks Lee, um, who is a big power bat who came out of the first year, same first year player class with Minnesota, because I like Neto to be a five tool potential player. Um, big high leg kick in the early counts. He kind of completely, he drops the leg kick completely on two strike counts to try to have more of a contact approach. He can run, he can hit for power. He's kind of a smaller physical player, but barrels up the ball. I think there's a real possibility for the rest of this year. You could get in. I mean, the power is a big question, but if he kind of finds his approach, this is like a 15 maybe 15-20 type of player. And if the Angels continue to lead him off, not only to get him going, but they like him in that spot, it really opens up a ton of possibilities for him. So I think you got to watch the strikeouts. He's maintained that pretty well in the minors. Uh, It was only 23 in that first game, but it's going to be how the power ends up developing. But I think he could score a ton of runs if he's leading off and he gets to stay in that general space. And he's going to run because he did that in the minor leagues as well. He ended up stealing... Uh, eight stolen bases in what equates to just under 40 games, and he ended up hitting eight homers. So it's an eight and eight in under 50 games. So you can do the math if you want to play around with it. But uh, it's a good approach. He can get a little bit more wild. I am a Zach Neto fan. They immediately threw him into that leadoff spot, too. So giving him chances right atop the order. It's funny because I think when when we get a look at a player at multiple levels, and usually it's you know either a half season or even a full season per level in many cases, I think we have a greater sense of confidence that the player is going to succeed in the big leagues, even if we shouldn't, because the realistic comps for Neto are guys that were on opening day rosters like Ezekiel Tovar and Anthony Volpe. Yeah. Right. That's just they're they're all kind of in the same bucket of, of unproven against big league competition, even though they've got different paths through the minor leagues that brought them there. So how does Neto compare to both Tovar and Volpe, just looking at it from a rookie shortstop class perspective. I mean, if you're asking me here, uh, I think this is a incredibly hard question. You know, I was thinking about too, I was thinking about Tovar's struggles and like how early on, remember, you know, we were doing that episode and I was like, Hey, remember you didn't really love Tovar and it almost could be like, Oh, let's not bring that up. You never said that by the way. But now look, like it's actually exactly what you talked about in the early AFL when we saw him. He's showing off, you know, the lack of really any contact skills. And um, the minors obviously were big, but he struggled. He's really struggled. And I'm struggling with like dismissing Tovar over these other players right off the bat. If I'm talking about this year and I'm not talking about long term, well, actually both number one would be Volpe. I'm not going to give up on Volpe through some of the struggles. He showed off a a three stolen base game. I believe he's got seven on the year, which is still crazy. He's hitting uh, obviously under 200, but he runs, I think, a little bit of a higher bat if he has in the minors. And I'm hopeful that that leadoff spot's going to get him going and more opportunities. So I'm going to go Volpe. And then I think I'm going to go Tovar Neto. But I think Tovar Neto are super, super close in this. Um, Tovar struggles worry me a little bit. We might talk about a middle infielder. They, they've got some other options that are sitting around there, maybe even in the lower minors of some adjustments they can make as far as a roster goes. But I don't want to give up on Tovar in the Rockies stuff. But Neto is super close. So Volpe, Tovar, Neto for me. What about you, Eno? Yeah, I still got Volpe number one. I mean, they're using him. They're they're going through these uh, these foibles with him and he's stealing bases. I think they like that dimension that he adds to the lineup. He's walking, uh, and he doesn't strike out. I mean, yes, he strikes out more than Tovar, but he doesn't whiff more than Tovar. And so, if I was going to put an arrow on those strikeout rates, I might put more of a down arrow actually on uh, on Volpe's because. Uh, 18% whiff rate for Tovar in his first go, 15% this year. I think the projections putting him down for a 20% strikeout rate going forward are missing the boat. I think this is one of those types of players where the contact rate issues were hidden either by level or competition or whatever it was, and that 
major league pitchers are exploiting that when it comes to Tovar. So I don't, I'm going to take the over on the projected 20% strikeout rate for Tovar. Um, so I'm, it's an easy Volpe for me there between the two of them. Um, Neto is, uh, Neto is just so, uh, it's, there's such a small sample. It's so hard. That I agree. And it, and, and, and it's funny because I, I, I kind of always have an eye for projections, and I know that they are less useful for uh, prospects than they are for regular players. But I also know that there are players, there are people in front offices who got their jobs because of their MLEs, their major league equivalencies, their ability to project uh, prospects. And so you can kind of look here and you can kind of see the different approaches with prospects. I think uh, Zips looks at it and says, oh my God. I've got nothing here, you know. I've got 190 plate appearances in the minor leagues across two across two levels. Uh, I'm basically going to project him to be the league average prospect. And so, uh, Zip says he's going to have an 82 WRC plus, uh, no power, and and too many strikeouts and no walks. Uh, Steamer is always a little bit more likely to regress them towards league average, just le- just plain league average, not just like a prospect average, but like a league average. And so Steamer has him basically a 98 WRC plus. That's like, oh, hey, that's the guy. He's going to be league average. You know, I don't have any information, so he's league average. <laughs> uh, but uh, ATC is now on the player pages. That's Ariel Cohen's projections. Uh, you know, and and the bat is always a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit more negative on prospects. So they've got a 95 WRC plus uh, for for Neto. ATC gets a bad rap sometimes as just looking at the other projections and and stealing from them basically or or, or sort of spidering from the other projections and being a multi a multi projection a, a sort of a conglomeration of projections. However, that can't totally be uh, the only thing it does because ATC has them for a 107 WRC plus and has them for the most power, the best walk rate, the best strikeout rate just the best overall line out of anybody. So ATC is doing its own things under the hood as well. Um, and uh, I think that's a good place to look is if you're excited about Neto, uh, look at ATC, Two, 248 average with a 160 ISO, 14 homers and nine stolen bases. I think he can be a, a 250, 15-10 guy. And if he is going to have a 9% walk rate, he'll stay at the top of that lineup. You know, I, I, I wanted to bring up one thing I'm curious at your guys' take on. Do you think that with Neto, with Neto specifically, that if he were, let's say, a raised prospect and he was brought up, obviously not Juan Franco, but follow me have here. a lot more sample, though. <laughs> you would have no, but, no, but no, that is actually my point, though. What if yeah. you didn't? What if a team like the Rays brought up a player in this type of sample size? Would we be ooing and awing over ourselves? Do you think there's an element of because he's a Angels prospect and they get a bad rap for their development that we're not giving extra credit for well, really the magnitude the of, of how the projections put like organization in, but. Well, yeah, here's the other part. Generally, of this too. I do think, yeah, we're like, we're definitely, we definitely have bias when it comes to organizations where we're like, oh, the Rays got a pitcher, it must be good, you know, you know, and oh, the Angels screw everybody up. I mean, it can't be that exciting. I was just sharing my biases a little earlier. Organizations I don't necessarily trust. If I'm throwing right. a dart on a prospect that has similar skills to another prospect, I might go to the organization that's had more success turning those players into regulars or above average regulars or potentially stars but I think the netto timetable is interesting to me because last season we saw Atlanta do this with Michael Harris and we saw them do it with Vaughn Grissom and I what I mean is we saw those guys get promoted to the big leagues with similarly low volumes of playing time at the double a level because to me the lower levels of the minor leagues are they're fine like it's good to get that information if you have it but double a means a lot more to me than just about any other level when I'm number scouting. And if if a team has a need that's great enough and they think someone who's played only 43 games at AA, they think they can fill it. That's the case for Michael Harris or in last year, Vaughn Grissom, 22 games at AA. Or this year for Neto between this year and last year, 37 games at AA. That can work. It it could work for some teams, but I think you're right. You're right, Welsh. Like the... The team doing this is is always going to draw a certain level of either hype or scrutiny. In the case of the Angels, it's scrutiny because they do so many things as an organization that many of us think are very dumb. If the Rockies did this, we'd be 
laughing in their faces because they're the Rockies and they can't have nice things because they choose not to have nice things. So I think what happens is we talked about some of the players that we'd be dropping in the middle infield on the Monday show, right? Guys like Gene Segura, the kind of steady Eddie, boring veterans. You get to week three, week four of the season, those guys are underperforming. Situation doesn't look good. And then a Zach Neto comes along and you're like, that's it. That's the guy. That's the guy that I'm going to take a chance on because if he's atop the Angels lineup, which he has the skills to do, if you're wish casting a little, but if these things go right, he is better than the old, boring, steady Eddie player that I had because there are multiple ways he can help my team. So I think the Angels are one of those teams that have not been in this position very often. It's it's a little bit more of a... hmm, Can't think of a time where they had a player like this that they were pushing aggressively. Even Adele, like, you know, there was obvious flaws in Adele's line. This one, you kind of look at Neto's minor league production, and there's just like, there's nothing to say, oh, well, he, he didn't do this. Well, and since Welsh hasn't mentioned his name yet, I feel like it's important to throw this guy's name into our conversation today. But Corbin Carroll, for different reasons, lost a ton of time to injury and didn't play that much in the minor leagues. If you... You think about it, right? It was 42 games back in 2019, lost 2020 season, and it was 90, 91 games between AA and AAA before he debuted last year. That's a guy that was drafted out of high school. That's that was, an and that's under a full path. season. That's under one full season of actual work, to your point, of a high school hitter. Yeah. Yeah, with a major shoulder injury that he came back from. And look how quickly we all jumped on board there. So... I guess, if nothing else, the way players have been getting to the big leagues faster and having some success quicker than expected, I'm very open-minded to the possibility that Neto actually is like the sixth or seventh best hitter on this Angels team and clearly their best option at shortstop and good enough to help us right away, even though he didn't have time to go through a couple of prospect list uh, seasons, if you will, and make the move from... Uh, fringe top 50 guy to clear top 40 guy to inside the top 20 and now he's creeping to the top 10 because of graduations he didn't go through that progression he didn't get to ride the hype train that long and I felt like that may have kept prices down in fab over the weekend in redraft leagues See, that is that is almost exactly what I was kind of alluding to is I think there is a sleepiness to it maybe we've been inundated with prospects inundated with some that haven't quite worked uh, you know Volpe some people are questioning Tovar some people are questioning but then also on top of it like we're not giving the credit due to a prospect that played under 50 games in the minors because he's an angels prospect. And that's, I I completely agree that I don't think you see the effect of what he probably should have cost compared to what he ended up doing because of all of those factors. And he hasn't failed. And the only other thing we can speak to is sample size. That's all that we else we have. It's sample size doesn't work well enough, even though that sample size has been pretty much all good the entire way through. So I think he's a really fascinating one that, you know, I'm a little biased to Volpe because he's a it was a top you know five prospect overall. That I think he's a special special talent. But I think that Neto versus Tovar one is way closer than people are really understanding. Because the biggest question I got over the weekend was Neto or Edward Julian, and I think it's clearly Neto. Also in that case, even though I think Julian's a good bat, but I think Julian is you know for the birds here because they're bringing up Polanco and Kirilov. That, There's the corresponding move, and theory. that's exactly. Exactly. You know, like he came up because of injury and he'd probably go back down because of health. Where Neto doesn't have that. They're they're committed. I mean, they already they booted David Fletcher. David Fletcher, they, they outrighted him. He's today. on a five he's on a five uh he's on a five year deal. Yeah, and I think they outrighted him today, is what yeah, I saw. Off the forty man now. What? Yeah, so this is Neto this is Neto's job for the foreseeable future, which makes him all that more interesting. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, been... Why did they do that extension with David Fletcher? Never mind. We don't want to talk. That's not for the show. <laughs> because they were desperate at short, you know? They didn't. They thought it would take longer for Neto, maybe. It'll but... be the Orlando I mean, RCA Julian, deal. Julian's interesting in his own right and deserves some a little bit of attention. He had a, a 26% hard hit rate on on um, on Rotowire, and I think that's pretty interesting because he's an oppo guy. He's a let-it-travel oppo guy. We saw him in the AFL in the home run derby. Everybody's saying, why is he in the home run derby? And uh, he didn't perform all that well. I think he did hit some tanks. But when he did hit the tanks, they were oppo, which is weird in a home run derby. And so really his whole bat path is to the opposite field, and I think that does actually that that explains his twenty six percent hard hit rate, and it explains why my sort of estimation of him is a little bit more muted. I don't believe he's going to hit twenty five homers. I think in the major leagues he's more of a sort of eleven to fifteen homer guy, and yes, he may have a great OBP, uh, but if he's eleven to fifteen homers, he has had high strikeout rates. He could be a two thirty, three thirty, four hundred guy. You know what's interesting? Uh, just thinking about that. It's a weird that. combination. You know what I mean? Like 15 homers in like 5 to 10 steals and a bad batting average. It's a strange... I don't I don't have a comp for you. The, the one thing that just came to mind when you were mentioning that was um, if anyone was watching any of the broadcasts yesterday with the Diamondbacks, not to make this again about Corbin Carroll, but they were showing... It's all about Corbin It's always Corbin about Carroll. Corbin Carroll. By the way, <laughs> he walked for the first time, which if you guys saw my celebration, it was an incredible moment when he finally walked for the first time this year. Which, by the way, I think he like led spring training in walk. So it's such a weird thing that's happened. But they were showing his spray chart. And what's fascinating about him, all of Corbin Carroll's homers, because Corbin Carroll's also kind of an oppo guy. His entire mm. spray chart, you know, if if you're looking at the full plate, it's like here. But it's he all in it. the he middle. He hits it ball harder. He does hit. He hit a 111, I think. He was his yeah. hardest hit ball we've had registered. But he doesn't have a pulled ball this year. A full pulled ball hit really? this year. They're all like right and left center. All his homers came center and all of his other hits came there. He almost had one that got taken away yesterday, but he's not pulling the ball which would be interesting when he starts to pull the ball. But that makes me think about like Edward That's Julian. Weird. There's a he similar a 60% approach. 60% pull percentage. On uh, it might be like, if you go and look at the actual spray chart, like they're not like full, like hard, hard pulls. They're more like middle line. You know what I'm saying? Like they might still register it as a pull, but when you yeah. look at the actual spray chart, they were noticing there were no actual like hard line, right field pull balls, which is crazy. Interesting. So he's trying to be very up the middle. Yeah, if which is like Julian. cut into five wedges instead of three, then you you take out the the pulled balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. But I'm just aligning that to like Julian. Th- that is a similar thing of like what Corbin Carroll's doing right now. Like Julian has a same all fields approach, which might actually take away from their game. Both of those guys take away from their game a little bit. Julian can hit the ball really, really hard. It just hasn't happened yet. And I think when that Polanco. adjustment starts coming in. One for four Sunday, uh, playing for in back-to-back games for the first time. He will be transferred to AAA soon. It could be activated in about a week, says Phil Miller of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Once he comes back, uh, you've got your starter at second base. Your starter at short is healthy. Your starter at third is young and playing well in Juan Miranda, um, or well enough, I think, to, to give him more leash. Would you, if Miranda continues to struggle, 
consider Polanco at third? Have you watched him in the field? Uh, I don't think Polanco at third is great. His arm strength is not amazing, right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think you'd want to play him at third. Polanco or Julian? Would you play either <laughs> at third? At least not Polanco. I haven't seen enough Julian to know where he really fits defensively, but the way they have moved him to different spots coming through their system, it kind of seems like they're not. They're not sure of where they like him. Either. It's not a third. It's not a third. I saw I saw him a gajillion times on the AFL. That arm is not for third. There actually a lot of projected talk was him going in the outfield, even though he played second base solely through the AFL. But they're talking about left field. That outfield is crowded. I think. I mean, yeah. not not necessarily too crowded. Like if he just played his way into it, he could maybe play his way into it. Uh, but even at third, I think they have a backup plan, which is Donovan Solano playing third and uh, Kirilov. Or, or Gallo playing first if Miranda needs to go back down. But I, I don't think that they're going to pull the plug that quickly on Miranda. No. So uh, I think that Julian is is has, uh, among the players that we've discussed today, he has the, the hardest uh, row towards full playing time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really crowded. And I think it's a similar exercise to figuring out what happens with Vaughn Grissom once Atlanta's completely healthy. We got into this a little bit on yesterday's show, just in the sense of, could they just move him to the outfield on the fly and, and let go of one of the veterans or maybe two of the veterans between Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna? I realize Ozuna is a big part of the DH picture as well. But what do you guys do in long-term leagues with guys like this? Uh, Julian and, and Grissom and there are plenty of other players like this. They don't necessarily have one position to call their own. They look like they're above-average offensive contributors with their various skills. How do you decide like when to roster players like this like when are the skills good enough to cope with the uncertainty of where they fit on the roster? This is almost like the opposite problem of Oswald Peraza, who's like a, a slick defender at short and runs really well, but might not hit enough to play in the big league. So he has a position and he doesn't have a bat, but these guys might have enough of a, a, a bat to just kind of force the issue regardless of where that ends up being. So what do you do? I think in you these do situations? What, we, what we've been doing, which is you kind of look at the organization and look at opportunities and I see Grissom as having much more opportunity in that outfield uh, in Atlanta than Julian has in the outfield in, in Minnesota because Eddie Rosario has a 47 WRC plus right now. Marcelo Zuna has a 21. Now, WRC plus is not something that stabilizes that quickly, but these are guys that have struggled in the in the short term past as well. And so, you know, and then in the case of Marcelo Zuna, maybe some other kinds of baggage that would uh, lead the the team. Also, they're 31 and 32. And so, you know, the time the, t- the time starts ticking on you pretty hard around then, where if you're not playing that well, the team, you know, wants to, to compete for the division title. Uh, you know, thanks for your service. We've got this hot young rookie who can't play short and we want to play him somewhere. So, you know, one of you guys got to go. And they, they started that process last year, by the way, if you remember, when Ozzy started to come back, they started to get him working, Von Grissom, in the outfield. Yes, but, they did. But the the only problem that ended up happening was then when you got into the offseason uh, and Dansby was they gone, a shortstop. <laughs> they spent the entire offseason, him and Ron Washington, working at shortstop. And then at some point in that spring training, they were just like, nope, this doesn't work to whatever level. And then they gave that nonsense about Braden Shoemaker and, and you know, they obviously resigned Orlando Arcia. But like we just don't know the full landscape of Von Grissom. I would have liked to have seen him playing some outfield in the minor leagues. I don't just recall before he was called up. But I think he has an exponentially better path of staying up in the majors than Julian does right now. Not saying that he's such a better bat, but it's just like like Eno said, it's just the the path of being able to play in the outfield. The injuries that that uh, infield has already shown, I think it behooves them to do it. And, you know, hey, Brett Beatty, Brett Beatty, questionable defense. He made his way on. I think Grissom can do the same. And Grissom also now has uh, two to four weeks of runway to be like, hey, my defense isn't that bad. Exactly. You know, exactly. Give, give me a shot. You got to put me in. And if no, he's like so. striking out, like, I mean, his first couple games, what does he have? Uh, his four games already, he's got a 5% walk rate. Like, if he keeps his, or a strikeout rate, if he keeps his strikeout rate low and he's walking and he's hitting pretty decently and he's a big contributor on the back end of that lineup, like, what's going to be the justification to That's get him out of there? strikes out a lot, too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I think, I think, I think he makes a lot of sense. And, and again, you can start, now you could start building this huge who'd you rather, because now we got like Julian and Grissom and 
Volpe and Neto, and it just becomes this big clump of incredible prospect decisions we get to make, which I think is so much better because it, coming back to what DVR said earlier, you can just start dumping off some of these like old crusties that you just don't know if they're going to work. We would have loved for Gene Segura to work, but you can move on from the Seguras and the Colton I, Wongs and take the high upside. I also think some of these old crusties will be there for you later. Yeah. Like you could drop Segura and if it doesn't work out, pick him back up again later, you know, like especially depending on the depth of your league. But I was looking at uh, some names down down list for MI. Brandon Crawford, I think will be there for you if you need him. Um, Miguel Rojas will be there for you if you need him. Um, you know, depending on what happens with that Alberto Monesi in his playing time or Enrique Hernandez in his playing time. They will be there for you needs him. Maybe Whit Merrifield. Maybe there's an injury in front of Whit Merrifield and he suddenly becomes more of an everyday player. Uh, so there's all these kind of older guys that uh, other people will be dropping too, right? And so I would I would give it a shot at almost any of these guys. Uh, Julian being only the one that, depending on the depth of your league and, and what you are actually risking, I'm not sure if I'd go there. Um, but any of the rest of these guys, I'm... Definitely in, in a ten-team league, almost all of them. Because in a ten-team league, if it's Segura, what, where, how high do you drop? Uh, maybe Segura's not even rostered in a ten-team league. Would you drop uh, Tyro Estrada uh, for for a shot at greatness? Uh, Ahmed Rosario is kind of hurt right now. Would you drop an Ahmed Rosario, Cattell Marte? And Cattell's getting hot. Cattell's getting Those hot. Are- Javier those are the Baez. those three players. Well, Baez Easy. might be the easiest of the yeah. of them to cut. Those are the kinds of players you have to think about cutting in those shallow leagues. And I think that's why I have such a hard time playing in formats like that. Because I, I listened to all four <laughs> those, of those names. I'm like, those guys should play. They should. Yeah, have a team. Yeah. <laughs> those are rosterable players, and yeah. I, I can't bring myself cut to cut them. <laughs> so that's that's a, a weak spot in in my own game. I like but, that term uh, though that you know said the the shot at greatness because that's kind of what that is. Like I don't I'm not driving Cattell Marte, but like. Estrada is kind of interesting. You'd want to hold on to him. But to your point, like the shot at greatness is like, look what Grissom did as far as like, you know, stealing bases last year. You know, what if that started to pick up in that time and he was stealing bases significantly or Volpe really, you know, Volpe was sitting out there. Man, Volpe versus Estrada is like a fascinating one. Uh, Preseason drafts, it was Volpe. You could justify a way my maybe he would be lower, but like I would drop Estrada for Volpe in a 10 team league if he were there. And he might be in a 10 team. Jake Cronenworth. Oh, same problem. Same problem. Guy that yeah. should probably be rostered, but see, I would actually. I think, uh, that, that's a young crusty. I would drop Jake Cronenworth for any of these. Uh, any players of them? Other than even Julian. for Grissom and it, okay, so, but even for Grissom, he is. Uh, he doesn't run anymore. And, Cronenworth. Oh, Cronenworth, and over the years, he's added more swing and miss, and. So he might just be a 240 hitter with 18 homers. So a young crusty, but in a good lineup. Yeah. Yeah. A mid crusty. A mid crusty. Yeah, not <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't actually be young and be crusty. So that's why it's like if you're late 20s, you're a young crusty. But you can have old player skills too early in your career. Yeah. That's that a good point. That's exactly what he's showing him. off. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. How about some other stash time toss ups? I was cooking these up last night. Well, I was up at weird hours. What do you guys think about this one? You only have one stashed away for this year. Matt Mervis or Nolan Jones? Nolan Jones, for people who didn't see the tweet, spent almost a week on the Rockies roster last week and didn't receive a single plate appearance. Of course. And by the projections, by the Bat X, he is projected to be their fifth best hitter this season in terms of WRC+. They traded for this man. This dude has some tools. He's shown us through StatCast. He has actual tools that are well above average. And the dum-dums in Colorado decided not to even play. Maybe it was a pinch hitter. They couldn't even find a random plate appearance late in the game where they were getting their asses kicked and they could just bring him in for one good swing. They couldn't even do that. Anyway, Murphys versus Nolan Jones. Who are you more likely to, uh, to stash? I think I just answered that question for everybody by ranting accidentally. You got yours. Who do you want? Do you want me? I'll go. I'll go first, and I'll jump in. Um, I think this one is tough. From a Nolan Jones has a better path right now. LOL. Except if he doesn't, if he's on the roster and he just sits there. Mer- I- I'm going to go with Matt Mervis here because I got to think about like 
potential offensive upside. I've never been like a huge Nolan Jones guy. I always like that, you know, he walks a whole bunch from an OBP perspective and he's got big power, which absolutely can play in Colorado. But Mervis is kind of back to his old tricks. And that's what seemed to be lost in all of spring training. He's walking more than he's striking out. He's hitting, you know, close to 300 again. He's got some good power numbers that are out there. I mean, this is what you wanted to see. And hopefully the, defensively, he's stepping up a little bit. Hosmer, I think, has been playing all right. I don't know if the Cubs are in any need anytime soon. I know this will be a mid-season. See, here's the difference. I believe that by mid-season, Matt Mervis is their guy in some way like he's the first baseman and maybe Hosmer's a part-time player or something like that where I don't believe that with Nolan Jones I don't believe that ever happens there's any commitment to Nolan Jones ever and I like the offensive skills of Mervis so I would still go with Matt Mervis simply because he is kind of back to everything that is going to get him to the majors and be the Cubs first baseman you know um sometimes we uh, don't give the Rockies enough credit uh, they're five and twelve no, 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 no. In this very specific way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like we don't give enough credit that they'll do the wrong thing? About, yeah, they'll no, always play no, the wrong no, no. player. This is what I'm saying. This is, let me finish. Elu Harris Montero has 48 plate appearances and is playing okay and seems to be getting most of the time at, at third. Ezekiel Tovar has 56 plate appearances and seems to be the shortstop. So sometimes they give their young guys a try. Right, Tovar is a hundred percent getting option this week now. After you said that, by the way, he might get option before this pod airs. Yeah, exactly, it's it's marking down. It's like two twenty five Eastern as we're as we're saying this, and it's right in that sweet spot before the transactions for the day start to come flowing in. I'm waiting for the text. Like ninety minutes from now, I'm gonna get a text from yep. one of you, okay. and it's gonna be Tovar going down. They're gonna trade for Garrett Hampson again from the Marlins, and they're gonna have him <laughs> play over Tovar. So just watch. I'm excited. But yeah, to your point, to giving back to your point, I'm actually surprised Montero is getting his playing time. Tovar is out there, but Nolan Jones is gonna be an outfielder, and they went inside Jerks and Profar. They did that thing that they always do again. That's that thing. That's the dumb thing. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. And that that sort of slams the door on him until there's an injury. And even then, the corresponding move is an injury. And it may just be Nolan Jones up for a day to you know, to not do anything and go back down. So that was really disappointing use of him. And I think that's enough for me to say, uh, Matt Mervis. I just also wanted to uh, pull up the Bat-X projections for the rest of the season. Eric Hosmer is the ninth best projected Cub for the rest of the season and still a 102 WRC+. However, that comes with a 16.5% strikeout rate, which uh, goes with uh, his historic strikeout rates. And yet this year he's striking out more and whiffing more. And that is something that's going to happen to him um, as he gets older. I mean, he's uh, a 33-year-old. And even as a... 33-year-old projected to be a 102 WRC plus at first. That is below average for a first baseman. So right now the Cubbies are doing pretty well. And uh, there's no real pressure on him. Patrick Risdom is doing a lot of the uh, the heavy lifting power-wise. And, um, you know, it's kind of coming together. But uh, the longer Eric Hosmer has a 70 WRC plus and Matt Mervis is rocking in AAA... I think that the uh, the switch is, is just sort of begging to be made, and it's not going to be an injury replacement. It's going to be an Eric Hosmer, DFA, Matt Mervis up situation. Yeah, like oh, David uh, Fletcher with the Angels just yeah, gone. I wonder if they'd be ever a, be comfortable doing Hosmer, Mancini in the outfield, and then uh, Mervis <laughs> at DH. I wonder if they'd ever play that game with us. Because that could that, be a would be pretty bad for defense, I think. Pretty bad. The, uh, the, the argument I can make is if you're doing well and you are building momentum with a core of some sort, why hold this millstone around your your ankle? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. bring up Matt Mervis in a situation where like, hey, we're not bringing you up like to save the Cubs. We're bringing you up because it looks like the Cubs are ready to go and you should be on the Cubs and we're going to bat you eighth. You know, why not? It's a really good point. 
So uh, I think. So who did you pick? Did you pick Nolan Jones here? <laughs> no, I'm picking. I'm the king of waffles. I'm picking Mervis. Oh, okay. Mervis is my guy. I think he's super smart. I like his approach. I think he's uh, a viable major leaguer, and he's going to be up pretty soon. You almost accidentally defended the Rockies there. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I. We got some. We got some uh, feedback on Twitter about Montero in specific, and I was like, you know, you're right. They did give Montero the burn, and I think we early on said. That they might not. I have him in one league. I've been pretty happy with it so far because it, it's worked out better than I expected from a playing time perspective. How about this one on the pitching side? Brandon Fott, who's been held in a lot of leagues in the early weeks of the season, or Mason Miller in Oakland, who you talk about someone that should just be on the big league roster by sheer talent and who he'd be replacing. I think Mason Miller kind of jumps off the page. I'll go to you first on this one, you know. I talked to Mason Miller at the Fall League, uh, and I've talked to a couple scouts about him. I'm a little nervous. It's reliever long-term. Uh, there's stuff about his mechanics, his health, um, and also just his arsenal. When I talked to him in, in, in spring training, he was like, fastball cutter. And I was like, and? <laughs> <laughs> so Stuff Plus is going to love him uh, when we get the update. Um, but uh, arsenal size and mechanics may not. And so... Um, also, uh, the A's have a ton of pitchers. I, I know you're saying the runway is open because they're not all good. <laughs> right. But at the same time, they have a ton of pitchers. So I, I want to push the go, go, go button, uh, because it's a nice home park and stuff. But I, I I'm feeling for some reason, a little bit of distrust about how long <laughs> he's up for what the deal is, what the role is, that sort of deal. Welsh. Well, I mean, everyone knows how I feel about Brandon Fott, but real quick, Mason Miller, I want to point out another stat. He does not have 30 innings pitched in professional baseball. So that's going to probably jump out to you. Now, AFL, he got a few more, but you know, if I'm doing the quick math here, it's just under 30 innings pitched. Most teams are not going to push this. And what would that do, by the way, if they were to push? He would push them into a relief role. The A's are in all of the, I don't know, I don't want to call it incompetence, but just the garbage that the A's are right now in their lineup and their stadium and everything surrounded around them right now. What they're not going to do is they're not going to destroy a prospect. And I don't think you're going to bring up a guy with 30 innings pitch, regardless of how great it's been. I think they want to simmer this in a little bit. And if the, and again, if they did, I think it would be in relief. So I don't think that's a huge, big plus or very limited starts. Yes, he's exciting. Hits 102. Um, big physical guy, but there is relief risks totally Maybe you could argue what they did with AJ Puck wasn't the best, so maybe they would learn from that. So all of that is aside to not just talk about Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott has not been fantastic. That is a worry. His homers are through the roof. That is still a problem, but he's got a higher K per nine than the previous year. He's walking guys at the same clip. His left on base percentage is atrocious right now, um, or actually it's really, really high, so you know that's going to come down. And if, you know, for overall ERA, like he's just, the homers have gotten to him. He had some bad calls in one of those starts I mentioned, three and two thirds, no hit. Um, I am still a big Brandon Fott guy. The PCL is relentless across the board. And I think it's pretty clear cut here. Like, and I've seen this exact question like 12 times about Brandon Fott versus Mason Miller. It is clearly Brandon Fott to me because he put up like 160 innings last year. He can go 160-plus innings with the Diamondbacks this year. Mason Miller cannot, so I will go with Fott. Yeah, the the workload, once he's up, would be a big concern for Mason Miller, but I do think he could be pretty useful, even in smaller leagues, on a per-inning basis, even with all the concerns he both outlined. Those are valid concerns for sure. Uh, looking at what he did in his most recent AAA start, it was a ton of four-seamers and cutters. 54 out of his 64 pitches were either a four-seamer or a cutter. By StatCast, he threw nine sliders and one changeup. This is Mason Miller? likes his changeup. This is Mason Miller. Yeah, he threw 64 pitches through five innings, struck out 11 in that start. He was and it was all fastball cutters. 42 four-seamers, 12 cutters, nine sliders, one change. Nah, that slider, it's good to see that. They wanted to develop that. That was what my question was about. Is it, you know, Are you going to do cutter slider? However, you can hear already from that, where it's like Brandon Font has a full arsenal. And there is some relationship there where you have to be careful. If you chase stuff plus too hard, you get a bunch of relievers is uh, 
something Jeff, Jeff Ponce says that I kind of agree with. And, um, and so there's, there's an interplay between, uh, between pitches. Like for example, I, I wrote a piece today about the sweeper and the sweeper has some problems. Um, and in, in that piece, uh, I quoted Chris Langan from an interview interview that I did on, on this, on this podcast, uh, driveline guy. And he said, sometimes you'll, uh, you take a sweeper guy and you say, okay, let's take 10, 15 points off of stuff and give you a gyro slider, a hard bullet slider that you can command because we have these other things that say that if you can miss, if you can miss by less, then you can get more chases. You can get them swinging more. So the gyro slider is to get them to swing. The sweeper is once they're swinging, you know, that sort of deal. Um, and so you start to have these weird effects where starters, the pitches pitch together. And that's why, um, you know, stuff plus, for example, is super powerful, but it's a little bit more powerful on, on relievers than it is starters. Got one more name to throw at you guys. Another one that has some innings concerns, not nearly the inning, innings concerns of Mason Miller, uh, but Ricky Tiedemann for the Jays or Kyle Harrison for the Giants, who is the better redraft stash right now if you are desperate for pitching. Well, she can have this one first. I think this one is astronomically difficult uh, simply because Tiedemann, he just pitched the other day, actually watched the entire start, uh, but it was his first pitch back from that injury that he had. And I think this was a double A start. And I just don't know how much they're going to baby him. And Kyle Harrison, I don't think, even though his stuff plus was rocking, has not looked good. He didn't get through his first. He, I mean, I talked about it. He didn't get through three innings in his first two starts. His second start, he was much better. It was against Brandon Fott, but he had a 12% whiff rate. He was not striking, at least when I had looked at it. It was like through five innings. He was not striking anybody out, and that is his bread and butter. So I think he's still trying to figure out who he is. And I don't think the Giants are going to um, push him. So I'm going to go back to Ricky Tiedemann, even though I think they need to get him work back up. He was on a pitch count. He pitched about, I think he struck out nine, by the way, and he had a 55 pitch count, I think it was. He went through three innings, struck out nine. Ricky Tiedemann did, and he looked phenomenal. And he needs to be built up. I think I think Ricky Tiedemann, even in that, could still beat Kyle Harrison up, even though he's in AAA because of those early struggles. So I'm going to go with Ricky Tiedemann. But I just it, it is tough. Like Ricky Tiedemann is clearly the better pitcher to me, but they're going to make sure that this injury does not creep back up. But Toronto's going to want to win, and he's going to be a good uh, he's going to be a good piece to help them do that. Yeah, I, you know, one thing that's tough is, um, you know, with the with the idea that there are ghost. IL stints. You you would never, if you're the Blue Jays, release Chris Bassett <laughs> to call up Ricky Tiedemann, right? You would never release Alec Manoa or even Jose Barrios, you know, to to call him up. But would you ghost IL one of those guys? Mm. You know, um, but then the corresponding move is this ghost IL, and then then you know you send Barrios or, or Manoa down. They they they're they're gone for two weeks, and they come back and they rehab for a week and they shut everybody down in the minor leagues. And then you've had Tiedemann up for three weeks. And now what do you do? So uh, I think that uh, they give them a lot of runway. However, over in San Francisco, you know, they have like six uh, starters on the major league roster. And I, in fact, have talked to a couple of those starters and heard kind of just a little minor grumblings of like, oh yeah, we're piggybacking or whatever. You know, um, if you look at it, it's Webb, Cobb, Benaya, Discafani, Stripling, and Wood. So they are doing some sort of six-man, you know, piggyback, uh, we'll get you in when we can get you in sort of deal for some of these guys. I think they just officially moved Stripling to the bullpen. They just announced like two days ago, too. So that's another, that's no, part didn't. of that. Yeah, yeah that's he's in there for now. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, which I was shocked But it's shocked not going to be like, it's not going to be one inning stints in the bullpen. No way. So they're just moving him. And what's weird is they still have Junis. So it's like they're just moving Stripling into the Junis role, which means that Cobb is going to come out in the fourth inning again. And you're going to start to hear it from these pitchers if they keep coming out in the fourth inning. You know what I mean? So they're playing a fine line there where they're, they've got a lot of starting pitchers. I mean... I, I count Juna still as a bit as like a kind of a long reliever slash starting pitcher. So they're trying to get a lot away with seven starting pitchers on the major league roster. So yeah. I think that Tiedemann has to be counted as closer because ghost IL or real IL, I would take him over Mitch White if I need had a need in Toronto. 
I also wonder if the Jays would be more likely to go to a six-man rotation anyway. I mean, the downside is fewer starts for Kevin Gossman, but you look at the struggles of Benoa. Bassett had a rough start just to the year. More rest in just stretch everybody out a little bit. Yeah, you're trying to pitch into October anyway. I mean, it might not be something you do all season long, but it might be something you do at a point during the middle of the season. Once you hit a rough Tiedemann stretch of like, the schedule. I'm healthy and I'm rocking down here, and you got you still have guys up there with five ERAs in the rotation. I mean, Kaufman right. just got lit up the other day. So yeah, to your point, like it just gives a little bit more breathing room, and and I would imagine Tiedemann's going to be ready. By the beginning of May. I mean, again, they moved him up to about 50 pitches. Next start, he probably goes to 75. And then next thing you know it, by May, he's good to go. And I think that's a really good call. Blue Jays would probably benefit from it. I think the other uh, the other thing you can do is, if it, is it all close when you're doing these depth chart, you know, ruminations, is I do think maybe Tiedemann has more upside. I, I, I really like his slot. I really like his pitches from that slot. Um, I think he could be a really effective pitcher and uh, he doesn't seem to have any of the uh, same control issues that Harris, uh, that Harrison's been having. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm with you guys. I want Tiedemann over Harrison as a stash at this point. We're all on Matt Mervis, by the way, I would also prefer fought to Miller, but if I don't have fought, I'm not sad about having Mason Miller. I think they're just going to let him go and see what happens. I think mm. he's 24 years old and what it, it's the, it's somewhat similar to the Clark Schmidt problem the Yankees started to run into in recent years, except the difference is the A's don't have a rotation like the Yankees have had where you can just protect him as a multi-inning reliever. You have to just let it happen and just see how it goes. It doesn't mean full workload every fifth day, not until the end of the season. There will be babying, but it might just be go out there and go five. We want you to be a regular starter. We want to see if you hold up. If he doesn't hold up, he comes back later. He's that reliever that Eno was talking about, so... Today I learned I like Mason Miller probably a bit more than I should. Uh, as we sign off, a uh, quick heads up, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It gets you all the great written content that we have on the site. You can find Welsh on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. You can find Eno at EnoSaris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.